0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org.
1: Man, I feel we really loved on the Lord, which is so good, so connected to, uh, to where we're going this morning. Um, please, please open with me in your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. First Chronicles 15. And I'll I'll get into this text in a moment. it'll launch us forward. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry about the lights we'll We'll fix this for next week. something happened, so normally the lights are on but but you guys can see me. <laughs> yeah, it keeps it cooler, but no excuse to fall asleep, all right <laughs> um but yeah, but I'm really stirred for the next few weeks. I don't know how long we'll be here, but we're gonna transition out of speaking on the names of the Lord and uh and we're gonna um we're gonna get into uh something something new, something different, but it's, it's really a staple and heartbeat of who we are as, as a church. And I'll just put this before you that I really want to kind of just be open and honest on the front end of how important this is to our body. And, and I would say with all the teaching that we do, and you think about spending a lot of time each Sunday to break open the word, you think about what happens midweek, uh, what goes on in all different ministries, there's all different places where the word of God is being shared from different people, But with all those things being said and all those things coming forth, I would say for me personally, if there was one thing that I would hope would take root in everyone's heart that comes to this body, it would be this thing right here. My heart would be that every single person would grow in understanding of what, what it is that we're about to engage in. And for the next few weeks, the big picture, like what we're going to be looking at, is what's called ministry to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord. And I think when we hear ministry, most of us are aware of ministry to man, which is good, which is biblical, which is necessary. But there is a ministry that actually comes before ministry to man. There's actually a ministry that gives life to every other ministry, and that is first our ministry to the Lord. This is our highest ministry. It's our greatest calling. It's it's our privilege that as new covenant priests, we get to draw near to God and minister to his heart, to bless his heart. And then from that place, we're released actually to give His love and His strategy to to the world. So this is where we're going to be over the next few weeks is unpacking this. And I realize that probably for some, or if you've been a part of our body, you've probably heard this language. You probably heard, "Come minister in the prayer room, come minister to the Lord." You may be like, "What in the world? What is going on there?" Um, but we're gonna we're gonna explain that. And I, what I what I hope will happen is that we're going to encounter. A revelation by the spirit of how significant, powerful, meaningful, fruitful it is when we minister to the Lord first. And my hope is that as we ask Holy Spirit to give us strength to understand, that what will happen is when we understand how impactful this ministry is, when we understand how important it is, how fruitful it is, how it is first place, it will help us to see how appropriate it is for us to give so much time and resource and energy to this. So the more we grow in this revelation, the more we begin to say, oh, my goodness, I realize why this becomes everything first. And so, again, in this house, ministry to the Lord is our primary activity. We love to minister to man. I love to teach like this. But at the end of the day, that all flows from first me ministering to God. Whoa. (laughs) If someone wouldn't mind just asking them. So... This is, this is absolutely a central part of our DNA. It's an absolutely central part of our vision. And I just want to be clear, what we're about to get into, all of us should be doing this on a personal level. Like when we have devotion to God in our own time, what we're doing in essence is we're ministering to the Lord. But what we're about to get into is we're going to address this on a corporate level. And in this body, the primary way that we minister to the Lord is, yes, what we just did was that, but in the house of prayer. And I know you've heard us talk a lot about that. And so I want to put a shepherd's call out to everyone today. If you feel called to this body, like if you attend this body and you say, this is where the Lord has called me. The Lord has called you to submit yourself to the vision of this body. He does not call anyone to become a part of a church but stay on the fringes of it. Acts 13.36, it said about David that David fulfilled all the purposes that God had for his generation. Meaning, God has specific purpose for generations. Do you know that? He has specific purposes for bodies and communities. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when we find out what those purposes are, we are not called to be on the outside of them. But we're called to give our life to that. And I feel, man, when we go through this, you'll see this. I feel the Lord saying, I, I, want, I want this house, everyone to grow in ministry to the Lord. And God wants you in that prayer room. God wants you giving your heart to the Lord. God wants you blessing his heart, ministering to his heart. And so next few weeks, we are going to be discussing ministry to the Lord. We're going to talk about priesthood. Uh, You cannot talk about ministry to God without understanding what it means to be a priest. There's a lot of thoughts that come to mind when you hear priest. But most of that is because of the traditions of man. Do you know Mark 7.13, Jesus told the Pharisees, your traditions nullify the word of God. See, a lot of us have issues with priesthood because we know of the traditions of man. And it's skewed so many things. But every person in the new covenant born by the spirit, you are a priest before God. You have been given the glorious privilege to enter into the holy of holies and to begin to bless his, his heart. So we'll talk about ministry to the Lord, new covenant priesthood, and then we'll talk about how we do this. Which is specifically in, in, in the Old Testament, priests would offer up sacrifices and incense in the New Testament, it says we offer up worship and prayer. And we'll actually talk about how we do that. Thanksgiving, praise, intercession. These are ways that we bless the heart of God. Okay. So we've got a lot that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. And what I want to say again as, as your shepherd is to, I mean I would say this at all times, but especially over these next few weeks, to really make room to be a part of what's happening right now. So that we come out on the other side of this as a unified body. And, and even today, I believe hearts are going to be stirred for ministry to the Lord. But you may still be asking, like, well, what exactly? How do I practically walk in this? These are things we're going to get into. So I want you to just, like, commit yourself to this. Uh, because there's something unique that hits a body when we corporately do this. Yes, I want everyone individually every single day having their devotion time with God. But there's something really unique that hits a body when we all say yes, okay? So let's look at um, first... Chronicles 15.2, really quick, talking about ministry to the Lord. And I promise we're going we're gonna to explain it. Today I really just want to share the heart of what this is and just stir, stir you up, lay a foundation, and then we'll get deep into priesthood and practicality over the next few weeks. But First Chronicles 15.2, I could share a number of scriptures on this. My purpose for sharing this one is not to go into depth about priesthood right now. I just want you to see one of many scriptures that show that when you are a priest, your primary role is to minister to God before man. Okay. So verse 2 says this. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. So again, we'll get into this. But the Levites were one of the 12 tribes. They were the only tribe that could be priests before the Lord. That's how the old covenant worked. And they would be carriers of the ark, meaning carriers of the presence of God. It says, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to what? And to minister to him forever. I want you to see that. What is the role of the priests in the old covenant? What does it say? Their job was to minister to him. Who's him? God. (laughs) They ministered to God forever forever. And what we'll see over the next few weeks is that God never meant for this to be restricted to one tribe. And that now in the new covenant, we are a royal priesthood. And the same mandate is on us as new covenant believers. That our first ministry is to minister to the Lord forever. Forever. In the old covenant, you could only be a priest by lineage. So technically by lineage, none of us could be Levites. But by the spirit, we come under the lineage of Jesus now. And because Jesus is the great high priest, we too get to now function as priests. So, here it is. I want to just lay some groundwork for us. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? When you hear ministry, I don't know about you, but there's some thoughts that begin to flood my mind. I think of preaching. I think of teaching. I think of evangelism. I think of meeting the needs of our community, uh, food drives and things like that. And I would say all of that is ministry. All of that is biblical, all of that is necessary, all of that should be flowing in some form from this body in order for us to be a New Testament church. But all of that ministry actually comes under the definition of ministry to man. It's ministry to man, meaning the primary beneficiary of that ministry is actually man. Sure, we do things for one another and God receives it unto himself, there's no doubt about that. But this is something unique when it says ministry to the Lord. Where it is purposely and solely for the blessing of God. It is for man, to man. So ministry to man is commonplace. Ministry to the Lord is on the verge of extinction. <laughs> like there's a few bodies that are beginning to rise up. And I feel like are getting catching the heart of bringing this back to the center. Because when this, when this thing hits, it's what brings life to every other ministry. It's what brings authority to every other ministry. It's what brings fruit to every other ministry. Most of the time we start jumping in to meeting needs and we miss this thing first and foremost. So what, what is, let me, let me put this, what's, what is ministry? At, at the most basic level, ministry is about meeting needs. Okay? So if we minister to one another, what we're doing is we're meeting each other's needs. So for example, right now, by the breaking open of the word, spiritual needs get met. We get exhorted and encouraged and challenged, convicted, so on. Uh, We meet emotional needs and relational needs through counseling. We meet physical needs by giving food and shelter. Put whatever you want there. But when we minister to one another, what's happening is we're meeting a need. That's the heart of ministry. You serve to meet a need. So what does it mean then when we say we minister to the Lord? Well, in one sense, yes, we're meeting a need. But I want to be really clear. Because the thought may be, wait a minute, how do you meet a need of God? (laughs) God is all-sufficient. God is El Shaddai. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's all present. He has no lack. He's perfect. He's he's existed forever. He's alpha and omega. So when the scriptures talk about priests ministering to God, it's not talking about meeting a need in the sense of filling in a lack for his ability. He has no lack. But what it means is that God has a desire. And that when you minister to the Lord, you are actually meeting this desire. 1 John 4.16, I believe it's 4.16, says God is love he doesn't just have love he is love he he, he's the source of love he's not some stoic being he is the most relational expressive being ever he is love and God has a desire in his heart that has been created by love see he created us in his image and unlike the rest of creation that can certainly glorify him trees can glorify him plants, animals, certainly there's a measure of pleasure he finds. But we have a unique ability to connect and have fellowship with God that the rest of creation cannot. And there's a desire within the heart of God for man to actually respond with love to God because that's what he's made us for. To love us and to receive this love. And so when we talk about ministering to God, what we're really saying is we're meeting the desire of God's heart for us to return and engage in a loving relationship with him. Ephesians uh, 5.32 says that Jesus is a husband and the church is a wife, right? On a natural level, it says a husband and wife become one, just as Jesus and the church has become one. Every husband in this room needs their wife. And we could do it vice versa, but just because Jesus is is the husband. Every husband needs his wife. Now technically, although life would fall apart, we don't need them to exist in that sense. But what we need, what we need, what we're saying is when I need my wife, I know, I know, the life would fall apart. But 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 technically we could exist. What we really say when I need my wife is I, I want, I desire her affections, I desire her attention, I desire her love. There's something within a husband that wants to love his wife and vice versa. And when Jesus says that he is our husband, the imagery is that there is a desire, like any natural husband, for the love of his wife. Guys, when we come before God and we sit before him, not literally sitting but meaning abiding in his presence, and we begin to declare our love for him, we begin to thank him and praise him and worship him and give him our heart. Do you know that that blesses his heart? Do you know that you move his heart? You minister to his heart when you come out of the busyness of life. To say, God, before I meet any need of man, I'm going to make time every day to say, Lord, I love you. We begin to give thanksgiving, which we say is all for agreeing with what he's done and praise is agreeing with who he is. And then prayer is really coming to this place of sharing our heart with him, our burdens with him. And God says, when you do that, when you do that, do you know that you move my heart? (laughs) Just think about this. How incredible, how mind-blowing is it that us in our frailty, In our weakness, we have an ability, because God is loving how he's made us, to move and stir and provoke the the heart of an infinite, creative God. Like in Daniel 7.10, it says right now, God is surrounded by myriads and myriads and myriads of angels. Thousands and thousands and thousands. And Daniel 7.10 says, you know what they do? They stand before him and they minister to him. Meaning they're declaring, he's holy, he's worthy, he's good. This is what we do in the prayer room. We come and we begin to declare who he is and what he does. They're declaring all these things and God says, they're ministering to my heart. But guess what? There's a part with all of those angelical beings, seraphim and cherubim and living creatures, there's a part in the heart of God that cannot be touched by their praise, but only you can touch it. Only you can touch it. And God says, when you walk through these tent doors... Coming out of the busyness of life and all that's going on and mind's half distracted. And you come in and you begin to lift your voice and say, God, I thank you for all that you've done in my life. And you begin to say, God, you're holy. You're provider like we did today. God says, oh, it begins to bless my heart. It stirs my heart. There's a place within the heart of God that only you can touch that I could never touch. And God is waiting, waiting and longing for, for a people who would come and minister to him first. To bless him first. Do you know the scriptures say that our worship and prayer before God is like an aroma? It's an aroma. So just picture that imagery. God is is on the throne and when we begin to worship and pray, God takes notice when you and I walk through these tent doors or walk into that office in that prayer room to begin to praise and worship him. And what he says, he says it's like an aroma that comes before me. And I thought about how... um, You know, on a Saturday morning, this is the imagery I had, how on a Saturday morning I could wake up and play with the kids in the other room, and my wife will take initiative to go make breakfast. And all of a sudden, as I'm playing, there's an aroma that comes through that door while I'm playing of bacon, right? And as I'm playing with the kids, when I smell that, I go, wow, that's good. And it causes me to leave everything and go into that room to see it because I find it so pleasing, this is what God says your worship and prayer does before him. He says, it's like in a that comes up when I it say, it, that's home church. <laughs> that's my daughter. <laughs> that's my son. Now he always knows, but he says, oh, I've got to meet with them. See, the more we actually minister to the Lord, the more he comes in greater measure. Because we're meeting his need first. We bless him. What is, what is the greatest commandment? What's it all about? Someone asked Jesus this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you imagine this? Someone asked God in the flesh, tell me, what's it all about? Tell me, what is all of it boiled down to? And God, not some man, God answers and says, I'll tell you what it's all about. He says, here's what everything hinges on. Here's what God wants. He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, a lot of times we go to work for the Lord first. First. Oh, he has purpose and plans, but God says, I want you to love me first. I want you to love me. What does that tell us about our God? That's incredible. Think about kings, what they want from their people. Most of the times they want subjects to just do work for them. They don't care about relationship. They don't care about the condition of those people's lives. Most of the times I want you to do something for me. Now we serve God. He's Adonai. He's master. But God says what I want more than anything is I want your love. It's an incredible statement. God is everything. You know what's the one thing he does not have? Your love. He will not force himself. It's a choice that we have to give. And he actually, man, I'm getting, he opened his heart up. It says, we love because God first loved us. Which means there's a moment in time where God expressed love to us and, and, and we had a choice of whether or not we'd come back to that. We love because he first loved us, meaning there's an opportunity for God to open his heart to his people, which he has, and then not return with love to him. Every parent in this room can testify that their children are their greatest source of pleasure and pain. (laughs) Because when you love your child, you open your heart to say, wow, when they respond back to that, there's so much pleasure. But when they turn from that, their heart is grieved. You know the scriptures talk often about God's heart grieving? He longs for the love of his people. That's, that's what it's all about, that we would love him. Why does God save us? I think for so long, um, my mindset, without even like, I just had to realize this is where I was at. I thought God was saving us because, well, he needs more people to, to recruit for his spiritual army. As if there's, he's almost in fear that he would lose to the enemy. <laughs> Listen, Satan is a created being. He's not unequal with God. He's unequal with Gabriel and, and Michael. The, the, the battle is over. Jesus publicly defeated and humiliated Christ at the cross. Does God use us to break strongholds and to advance his kingdom? Absolutely. But in actuality, God is not sweating if this thing's going to work out. It, it's over. Jesus did it. We're just being used and have the privilege, which means his primary purpose for saving is that we would love him and that we would walk with him. And then we would have union with him before we do anything else. It's the heart of what he wants. And I think in my own life, one of the mistakes that I make is that I do a lot of things for God in the name of loving God. I do a lot of things for God and say, see God, see how much I love you. And I want to be clear. We do express love for God by, by going out and loving our neighbor. Matthew 25, Jesus says when you feed the poor, when you give a, one drink of water... When you go to a prisoner, he says, I receive it unto me. There's no doubt that he receives that. And you do minister in a sense to him. But this is unique. This is a ministry where it is only for the Lord. And and do you remember when Jesus came out of fasting for 40 days? Do you remember it says the angels came to him? And it says, and the angels ministered to him. This ministry was not about... Ministering to man, but God being blessed in the process. When the angels minister, they said, "Lord, we're here to meet your need." That's the picture. When we minister to God, we say, "Lord, this is not about loving my neighbor and through that you're blessed." No, there's something unique where I'm just blessing you. Right? I mean, here's another example for my wife. I can, um, I can do a lot of things for my wife. I can cook. I can clean. I can take care of the kids. Would she receive love through that? And feel love, absolutely. There's where she said yes, there you go. I'm like, wait, she's normal over here. I'm like, wow, So who said that? There's no doubt that she would experience and feel love. But that will never replace me sitting before her, looking her in the eyes, and connecting with her on in an intimate level and saying, I love you. This is why I love you. Because of who you are and what you have done. That is what we're saying when we come before the Lord in ministry to him. When we come in these gatherings, that's the heart posture we come in with. We first come to say, Lord, I'm here to meet your need. Lord, I'm here to, to, in essence, behold you, gaze upon you, and tell you I love you. Tell you the reasons why I love you. Because of who you are and all that you have done. And the Lord says, when you do that, it so moves my heart. (laughs) It so blesses me. Devotion to the work of the Lord is not the same as devotion to the Lord of the work. Very different. We do, like, as a, as a pastor, that's almost like blasphemy. The call. The call of God. I get the call is so significant. But the work of the Lord never replaces the Lord of the work. And what often happens is we get so busy in doing the work of the Lord, we miss the Lord of the work. And that, listen, it's the abiding and the beholding and the being with him and the touching his heart. That's where life comes from. That's where we're released and, and, and we have heaven's strategies and plans in his heart. And I, man, here's, I think honestly a lot of times services and church, church functions are centered on meeting the needs of man and not God. Most of the time I think what happens is we gather, not here. There's something, I love what's happening. But a lot of times what, what I've experienced is that the whole gathering is set up for meeting man's needs. What does man want? What does man like? Going through seminary, going through this really awesome church planning school, I'm so blessed by what I learned. Many things carried over. But everything that I learned was all geared towards establishing a place that met the needs of man. No one ever taught me how to establish a place that first meets his need. That first meets the need of the Lord. And God says, you start meeting my need, watch how I meet all of your needs. There's a grace that spills out. And instead, we feel pressure for all these needs. We're running around like crazy. There's no life. There's no depth. We're a mile wide and an inch deep. But then we start connecting with Him, and life flows from this place. We listen. We are bent in this house. First and foremost, we prepare a place to meet the need of God. That prayer room is meeting God's need, saying, "We're first going to love you." You know, Matthew eight uh, twenty, Jesus said, "Foxes have dens." Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hallelujah. I felt the Spirit like, pff, breathing out that this week. And say the Son of Man by the Holy Spirit still to this day is seeking after a resting place. Seeking after a place where he can rest his head. Where will Jesus find that place? A place where he's being loved, welcomed, received, honored, glorified. Where we actually say it's all about you. Amen. That's what we're doing. We say, Lord... This is your resting place, God. We meet, we meet here first and foremost to give you the reward of what you die for. When the, pref- listen, when the preferences of man become the focal point of why we meet, meeting for man's needs, our metric of success and what is an impactful service is completely skewed. All of a sudden we start asking, did man like it? Did man enjoy it? All of a sudden we start talking about our worship saying, how long should we worship for? What type of song should we worship? How long can we repeat that one chorus for before people get frustrated? <laughs> All of a sudden we start saying, what type, of, uh, what type of messages should we speak? Will it be inspirational and motivating for the people? Now listen, I get that. There's a place where you should expect that. But Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer that, that, that what happens in heaven would manifest on earth. That the will of the Lord would be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. That means many things. But do you know one thing that, that hit my heart this week is that in the throne room right now before God, there is perpetual worship and prayer around God. And do you know that that worship has nothing to do with the preference of the angels. The amount of time, they sing night and day, holy, holy, holy. And it has nothing to do with the elders saying, I'm tired of this. They, they do it because it blesses his heart. They do it because... Because of who he is. So when we gather in this place, if the Lord says, here's what I want. I want you to sing one <laughs> chorus for two hours straight. We say, yes, Lord. <laughs> if that meets your need, then we will do it. <laughs> because we're not here to meet our needs first. We know you're so faithful. We'll never be able to outgive you. But our heart posture is first going to be to bless you. It's first going to be to come and meet what you have. Man, I, th- I think, honestly, I think oftentimes... My, if I'm not careful, my mind goes to that. Did man like it? Did man appreciate it? And the one thing I never ask is, wait, was his need met? And I, while I'm so concerned of, of people's heart posture, I think oftentimes the loneliest man in the room is Jesus. Everyone's needs are being met. But says, who will come before him and, and wash them with oil? Who will come and pour out their kisses upon the feet of Jesus and love him? Or who will meet his need? Man, and it's happening in this house, which is so beautiful. And I feel the Lord's calling all of us into this more and more. When the preference of man becomes front and center, all of a sudden the metric for how successful and impactful a service is, it's always about how much did I receive. Most times we're measuring service by what did I receive? Did did the worship, did the worship move me? Did the message was the me, Did I get a word today? Now I want to be so clear. Those things should happen. Those things are not bad for happening. You should expect to find that in a place. But here's what's wrong is when we come in and that's our sole purpose for coming in. If our sole purpose for coming in is to receive and not to give, we've missed something. Hallelujah. That's what it means We say, Lord, we're here to first meet your need. Do you, Revelation 4, before the throne room of God, as I shared before. Do you know that when the, the four living creatures cry out, holy, holy, holy... It says the elders, they cast their crowns, they fall down before Jesus, and then they say this. They say, worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power. He's worthy to receive. So yes, we come in knowing we will receive something, but our first posture is we're coming before the one who is worthy to receive. God, we've come in to give you all blessing and honor and glory and power. And so I, I really believe that a lot of, like, the current system of worship does not satisfy the desire of God's heart. We're meeting everyone's needs but the Lord. And this house, first and foremost, we minister to God. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So I just, I want to share two quick portions of scripture and then we'll close it out here. And again, if you're asking, like, well, how, we're going to get into all of that. Uh, but I just want to stir your heart for why this is so central. So turn with me to Luke uh, chapter uh, 17, please. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to look at verse 11. Luke chapter 17, verse, verse 11, we'll start. I'm going to read this and then I'll read... One other uh, portion of scripture in Acts 13. I, I, so a lot of you probably know this story. It's about the ten lepers. And I think this, this provides such a... Acts 13 will really give language, like the actual language of ministry to God. But here I really feel we capture the heart of what I just shared. And it really provides this beautiful picture, I think, of two responses to encountering the man Jesus. To having our lives set free and changed by Jesus. You could put individuals in here. You could put corporate bodies and churches. And so let me read it through and then I'll just come back and and highlight a few things. Verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. That's important, we'll come back. But the lepers come out to him. Who stood at a distance. So by law the lepers could not draw near. They're not only suffering physically with leprosy. They're socially, they're outcasts. Emotionally, that would take uh, a toll on someone. I mean, these guys are suffering. And as a result, there is a cry of desperation that they lift up to Jesus. And verse 13 says, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, this is Jesus, go and show yourselves to the priests. Who basically function also as the doctors of the day. And as they went, they were cleansed. That's an interesting principle for another day. But actually they were healed when they obeyed the word of the Lord. That comes in all different realms, healing. But sometimes it's actually in obedience. As they went, that's when they experienced healing. Not in the moment. And then it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, ready? Then one of them, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, when he saw the mercy of God manifest upon his life, that it began to set him free physically, physically, Understanding what this meant, socially he'd be accepted. Emotionally wounds are being dealt with. When he saw that, he turned back. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Wow. When we get into how we worship with thanksgiving praise, this is amazing. Holy Spirit will remind us of this. This man turns back, falls prostrate on the ground, and gives thanksgiving and praise for what the Lord has done. It says, now he was a Samaritan, which means if there was anyone you would least expect to do this, it would be this man. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well or whole. So ten were were healed. Only one was made whole, the one who returned back. But here's the picture. These ten lepers come out to meet Jesus. Why? Because they had a need. Their need propelled them to go to the man Jesus to cry out. They recognized that without a touch from Jesus, their life situation would never change. Guys, that is each and every one of us. At some point and at multiple times, even after we're saved, we come into this encounter. But definitely before we ever knew Jesus, we came to an end of ourselves. We recognized that nothing would actually satisfy what we're looking for. Whatever it may be, but we came to a place and recognized that we need a Savior. And that need caused us to cry out to the man, Jesus. And Jesus, in his goodness, responded to us and saved us, forgave us, probably healed some. He's reconciled marriages. He's done a number of things. But once that took place, nine of these lepers, once their need was met, they were gone. Once their need, and the picture is maybe they came around for us, they come around church functions. But that same hunger and desperation and cry for God was gone. Because their need was met. But there was one, one who turned back and gave his heart to the Lord in the sense of to offer thanksgiving and praise. And I believe this is one of the clearest expressions of capturing the heart of ministry to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord is returning ourselves to the one who transformed us. It's presenting our hearts to him who we cried out mercy for and he responded and healed us and touched us and saved us and reconciled marriages in here. And he did that and as a result we come back and say, Lord, here's my offering. I give this to you. This is what ministry to the Lord looks like. God, I will not forget what you have done. And we never mature past this. This isn't just what we did when we first were saved. We, we actually grow in maturity. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of what's happening in our prayer room. We are corporally like that one leper coming before God saying, I will not forget, Lord. I will not forget your goodness. How you saved me. How you forgave me. How when no one was there, you came to me, God. How you, how you restored marriages. How, how you've reconciled. God, how you gave peace when I was filled with anxiety. I will not forget. And we present our hearts as priests to thank him and praise him, falling before his face. And the Lord says, when you do that, God says, you don't understand what it does to me. It so blesses and moves my heart. You meet the desire of my heart. Like this is the celebration of the gospel. And I feel so often the church misses out on this. Like we know we've been forgiven and so on, but we we fail to connect with the one who set us free. We fail to enjoy the one who redeemed us and just to love him. And again, to pour out our oil. And as Mary did, to pour out our kisses upon his feet. And the Lord says, oh, it blesses my heart. It blesses my heart. Verse 15 says that when one of them, look what it says. Then one of them, this is the one that returned when he saw that he was healed. So what caused him to come back? When he saw the mercy of God actually manifest on his life. Here, here's the point. God forgives, saves, heals, blesses, all these things. One, because he loves to see that affliction removed from your life. There's no doubt about it. But it's unto a greater reality. God's heart is that every blessing he gives us would drive us deeper into himself. But, but what can happen is, man, we've been blessed, we've been touched, we've been forgiven. And it's like, thank you, Lord, I'm on my way. And the Lord is like, man, who will come back and meet my need? One, one more thing on this, and we'll move to the next verse. Look at verse 17. It says, "Then Jesus answered, "Man, this, this so rocked me this week." Then Jesus answered, "We're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? The one moved them, but he said, "Where are the other nine? Weren't there ten? I feel the Spirit of the Lord is asking that in our body, Where are the nine?" Do you, know you know what that means? He was aware. Because he wanted their thanksgiving and praise. He said, I healed ten. I set free ten. He said, one's here, but where are the other nine? I want them to, you, I want you to hear this. This is not like, an, this is not a God pounding his fist. Do you hear the heart of the father and Jesus longing for his children to say, this is what I made you for. I sent the son to crush sin so that you could come back to me. Where are the other nine? When I, when I heard this, I immediately thought of Genesis. And I, I just want you to hear this because I, I felt like the spirit brought me right back to Genesis. And you remember when God created all things before the fall. God, it says, would come into the, into the garden at the cool of the day and he would walk with Adam. I mean, I can't even imagine what that looks like. No, no sin, no barriers, no, no veil, just perfect communion. It's what it was meant to be. And every day God would come to walk with Adam. But one day when God comes, he does not find Adam there. Because sin has entered in. And where is Adam? Adam is hiding from God in fear and trembling. And do you remember what the father says? He says, Adam, where are you? He asked the nine lepers, where are the nine lepers? And he asked Adam, where are you? Why does God hate sin? I know, he's holy and separate. I get that. We have to understand that. But I feel like we just missed something deeper, which is that he hates sin because it drives a wedge between that which he loves most. And that those who only are made in his image and those who can connect with him in the deepest way, instead of returning to him, wind up hiding from him. Hallelujah. He hates it because he wants to commune. And oftentimes when I look at Genesis, I often focus on what Adam lost. But there's something that God lost too. God says, that's mine. Those are my children. And the heart of God breaks and weeps over that and grieves over that. And so there's a question coming out. The Lord says, where are you? (laughs) Where are the nine? Man, can we be a house that says, Lord, you will find what you're looking for here. When we gather in this place on Sunday throughout the week, we will meet that need. That question means that there's a choice that we have to make. He says, where are you? God is all-powerful, but he does not force anyone like we said before. We have a choice. He says, will you come back? Will you do this? Will you make this priority? And the second thing it tells me, this question, is that God is seeking for this. Where are you? He's looking for this. It says in John 4.23, he's actively seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. He's He's not passive. He's not docile. The Lord is actively searching the earth. Say, where are the worshipers who worship me in spirit and truth? He doesn't just ask for worship. He says, worshipers. Because he's not just looking for good songs rooted in right theology. That's great. He says, but I want a heart that's connected to those songs. Where are the worshipers? He's looking all over. He said in Samuel, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. But the Lord said in 1 Samuel 13 that he was seeking one who was after his heart. He's seeking and looking. Will he find what he's looking for in this place? In your life, in my life. <laughs> and it's not, listen, it, this is not about a skill. Ministry to the Lord is not a skill. It's a heart attitude. Yes. That's it. it. It's like, well, what a, no, no, we'll talk about practical things, but at the end of the day, it's you just presenting yourself before the Lord and opening your mouth and actually giving him the time to say, Lord, I'm going to love you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you my prayers. And God says that touches my heart. It moves my heart. Last scripture, Acts 13, if you could, real quick. We'll close here. Is this, is this helping to lay a foundation for us of ministry to the Lord? Alright, so Acts 13. I'm looking at verse one. We'll close out here. You can even mark if you want to just play something. I'll pray at the end. But Acts 13, we are given we are given an inside view as to what some of these early church gatherings look like. Okay? And what I want you to see is what took place. Who's gathering and what was their primary purpose for gathering. So look what it says, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. That's an interesting mix right there. That's just amazing to see them together. Teachers, teachers say that the prophets are too ethereal, prophets say the teachers are too intellectual, but here they are gathered in unity together. And you have Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who's the Apostle Paul. So you've got a pretty serious group, and probably others that are gathering here. Prophets, teachers, you've got men of influence and gifting. And yet what we find is that their primary motive for gathering is first and foremost not to hear the prophets prophesy and not to hear the teachers teach. All those things are important, but that's not why they first come. Look what it says in verse 2. Why did they gather? Verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord. Your translation could say worship. Because in the New Testament, worship and ministry is often used almost interchangeably, which helps us understand how we minister to God. But it says, as they ministered to the Lord. That word is liturgio in the Greek. It's where we get liturgy. It actually means to operate in a priestly function. These guys were operating as new covenant priests. Can you imagine this? You've got prophets and teachers. You've got the apostle Saul. And they come and say, we're not hearing from anyone first. (laughs) Here's why we have come. Our primary purpose is to minister to the Lord. And they were unified in this. So they're coming with worship, it says fasting, prayer, and they come to bless the heart of God first and foremost, which is why I said before, it's so important that this becomes part of our everyday life. We preach that. Intimacy in our own prayer closet. But there is a unique grace that hits a body when we corporately say yes to this. And that's what we're about to see when we come unified in this. Look what happens. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, who took over the meeting? (laughs) The Holy Spirit said, and now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So, when these guys come in and say, Here's why we're gonna gather, we're first gonna minister to the Lord, we're gonna minister up. Guess who takes over the meeting? Holy Spirit starts to move. Listen to me, when we minister to the Lord, we're creating space for people to be led by the Spirit. I think God honors agendas and plans. We come into these places prepared. But at the end of the day, we need spirit-led leadership. We we need spirit-centered gatherings. And when we come in and make him center, Holy Spirit says, this is a place where I am welcomed. He comes in and leads. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Which is why when we come into the house like this... And we start ministering and saying, God, I'm not here to get anything first. I'm going to give you what you deserve. All blessing and honor and glory to you, God. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Holy Spirit comes in and all of a sudden people start getting set free. A message has never even been given. It's the the spirit of the Lord that comes in. And all of a sudden you start seeing people. And all of a sudden we've had in the gatherings where someone says, man, I feel like Holy Spirit saying, pray for this. And then we start moving into those other things. But what's happened is, as we've met the need of the Lord, Holy Spirit starts to respond back to us. And he starts giving us plans and strategy and heaven's wisdom and heaven's love and heaven's burden. See, because it said, set, "Set them apart for the work that I've called them. That's what the Holy Spirit said. They could have went on a dozen mission trips. But there was a specific trip within the heart of the Father and within Jesus And and the temptation is to run ahead and start doing all these things because they seem good to us. But what we do when we minister to God is we're saying, God, what's on your heart? What's your need? And all of a sudden we get released and we're actually doing what's on the heart of God. And there's power in that when we do it. Holy Spirit releases strategy, wisdom, love. That's what happens in the prayer room. We come in as priests. We stand before the Lord. We minister. And then he responds back. And then we get released into the world to share that. That's first commandment lifestyle. Love the Lord your God, and then go love your neighbor. As we love God, he responds back, and then we go out to love the world. From the overflow of that place. And so here's how I'll sum this this section up. There's three types of ministries that happen here. They ministered up, which is to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord. Then it says they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas. This is ministry in. Meaning within the community of the church. And then they sent them out, which is ministry to the lost, to the community. You minister up, then we minister in, then we minister out. That's the order always. Always. But again, as I said, the temptation is because of all the needs we see, oftentimes we start jumping into ministering inward and out first before we minister to the Lord. That's usually what happens. Because from a good place, we feel the pressure of all that's going on. We, we got to do something. But, but listen... <laughs> Their ministry became so impactful because they heard what the Holy Spirit was speaking. Because they ministered up first, then the Lord said now do this. And so this isn't just ministry and it's not just laying on of hands. But all the ministry we do for one another, like we don't just start ministries. There's a million good things we can do. We minister to God to find out what does he want us to do. And then we start doing those things and now we know that there's power there. Because when we step out without that first ministry, we lack depth, authority, life, power, we lack all of those things. Jesus said in Mark 3.14, it said he appointed his disciples to be with him. And then he says, so that they may preach. He says he first appointed the 12 to be with him. And then they would go and preach. They didn't go and preach first. Their first ministry was to be with Jesus. So that when they stood before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all that those men could say is, look at the wisdom and authority these guys walk in. Surely they have been with this man Jesus. You can't manufacture that. That's what happens the more we do this and come before the Lord. The more that spills out from our life. And final thought we'll pray. If, if you have a temptation like I do at times to say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to come before the Lord. It's a waste of time. I want to go and do things. I don't have time to sit before the Lord and minister to his heart. Do you know that this is where Paul was commissioned? Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, but this is where Paul was commissioned. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written because of the launching out of Paul. Where was Paul launched from? From the place of ministering to the Lord. The greatest missions movement started from first ministering to God. It is never a waste when we pour ourselves out before the Lord. Actually, we save a lot of frustration and time from jumping into the wrong assignments. So these men came into, came into worship, and then they left to witness. And that's what happens here. Amen. So look, that's how we do it when we come in on Sundays. But I know we have more to come. And you may still say, well, I want to grow in, like, how we, how we act, uh, function as priests, we'll get into that. But here's my heart is that we, we gather Tuesday right now, Thursday and Friday, morning and night, 6 to 8 in the morning, 6 to 8 at night. My prayer is that God would never say in this body, where is so and so? And that if you say the Lord has called you here, that you would submit to this vision and give your heart to it. And watch the more how we do that, how Holy Spirit takes over each gathering and our lives. Yes? yes? So let's pray. Let's pray. Man, can I, Caesar or Brittany, can one of you guys come? Does it matter? And then I'm going to have Willie right after. Can, can this mic go over there will it start going crazy? Let's find, out. Let's find out. All right, Caesar and Brittany oversee the worship side. Willie on the prayer side. So I just feel let them pray just into what we just said, all right. So if we could just posture our hearts right now to receive. Yeah. I just want to, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be awakened to how much you long to be loved by us. God, I pray for the spirit of revelation to hit our hearts, that we can bless you, Lord, and that there is no greater joy than to bless the one who changed us and transformed us. In Jesus' name.
2: We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for revealing yourself, for revealing the Father, for giving the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you for coming to us. We thank you for pursuing us, God. When we weren't looking, God, you said, here I am. And everything changed. And God, I thank you that I can love you. Lord, that we can love you because you first loved us. And I pray, God, That you would capture and captivate our heart again in this place, God. I pray that you would open up our hearts, Lord. That we would be able to pour ourselves out before you, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would touch every individual in this body. To, to recognize how much they can give and how much it means to you and how much you receive, even the little, even in what they don't understand, God, that we can lift up songs, we can lift up our thanks, we can lift up our, our words, God, to you, and it means something to you, God. We thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that there would be a spirit of worship in this place. God, that there wouldn't be striving, that there wouldn't even be um, the the need to work our way into your presence, God, that we would know where we are. We would know that you've invited us back into the garden and that we can walk with you in the cool of the day and that we do not need to hide, but you've removed the veil and we can approach you. We can approach you, God, and we can can run through the halls of heaven because we're seated at the right hand, Lord, in you. Jesus, I pray, God, I pray, Lord, touch our hearts. Touch our hearts to, to be reprioritized. In how we do ministry and how we, how we move, how we function in this earth, God, as sons and daughters, Lord, I pray, reprioritize our hearts, our affections, God, that it would be lifted up to you first. God, that it would be um, effortless, Lord, that there would be a need in our hearts to do that first. In Jesus' name, God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time with you alone. I ask, God, that there would be a desire as we wake up, Lord, to come before you. God, to know that there's something in your heart that's longing that we can lift up. God, I pray that we would wake up with that revelation, that I can give something to you, that I can lift something to you, God, that I can go into the closet, God, and turn and turn my affections to you, God, and that it's not a waste of time, God, that it's, it's fruitful, it is beautiful, God. We thank you, Lord, and I just pray as we come together, Lord, I ask, God, uh, that you would help us to, to be... Um, I, I just pray that you would wash away selfishness and that you would help us, Lord, to come in humility come bearing each other up, Lord, to come to encourage each other, Lord, to, to come to this one thing, to lift up something to you as a united body. You not only died for me, but you died for my brother and, I, and my sister, and I can link arms with them, and I can sing to you, God. I can lift up worship to you, God, and you love it, Lord. I just pray, God, I pray, let this be a house that does that. Let this be a house that, that lifts up a fragrance, God, that you enjoy, that you love, and that welcomes you in. In Jesus' name.
0: In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you desire us to be one as you and Jesus are one. And as we worship and as we pray together in unity, you make that happen. That we get to answer a prayer that Jesus prayed. When we come together with one focus and one mind to worship you, God, and to give you the glory that you're due. And I thank you that as we do that, God, you said that you no longer call us slaves, but you call us friends because you don't tell the slaves what you're about to do, but friends you share your heart with. So I thank you that as we share our hearts with you, as we lift our hearts to you in worship and prayer, you give us your heart back and we can pray the very things that you want to see and we can pray them with confidence because if you're revealing them, you're going to do it. And so, God, I thank you that you actually author faith for the very things we can pray about. And I thank you that we're starting to see it now. And I just, I I thank you for the increase that's coming as more of us get together with one purpose, to minister to your heart, and then you share your heart back with us, and we realize what a privilege that is, that we can be a good friend back to you by stewarding what's in your heart and telling you about it so that you can do it, God, and be glorified by it. We thank you, God, that we have that privilege to be a friend of God. That Yes, you're a friend that sticks closer to a brother to us, but we can do that to you. As we hear from heaven what you want to do, and then we pour it back out to you in prayer, you do it, Lord. And then you get the glory, and we get to enjoy the benefits of it. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. That you made it so we can actually depend upon you and talk to you. We can talk to the living God, and he hears us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that every single person in this place, in this body, would get that revelation that you delight to hear their voice. And by the time it reaches heaven, it sounds so sweet. That nobody would feel embarrassed or ashamed of what they sound like in the natural because you hear the heart. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All
1: right. Well, we'll see you guys this week in the prayer room, right? <laughs> uh, bless you guys. We'll have a, we have a prayer team up here. If anything is stirring in your heart from today to receive prayer for. Uh, but we love you guys. Have an awesome week. And we'll see you, uh, see you this week and next week at some point.
0: All right. Bye again.